Welcome to the Best Science Medicine Podcast, BS without the BS. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the 536th episode of the Best Science Medicine Podcast. My name is James McCormack, and I'm a professor with the Faculty of Pharmaceutical Sciences at the University of British Columbia, and I've been that for 536 episodes. And slightly before that. Yes. Uh, I'm Mike Allen. I'm a family doctor and the director of practice board at the College of Family Physicians of Canada. I'm also an adjunct professor at the University of Alberta. And we are going to talk about something, I would say that pretty much every, almost probably every clinician has dealt with at one point in their career, certainly in primary care, but it's really an important one. And we're going to talk about the issue of asymptomatic asymptomatic bacteriuria in the elderly. It, it's so relatively common and it's, there are so many nuances around it. And uh, uh, you and two other people did a great job of looking at this. Yeah, so um, this was uh, Darren Passe and um, Jennifer Young worked on this with me. So Darren is from uh, the um, uh, Alberta and works a lot on uh, appropriate antibiotic prescribing, etc. And Jennifer is a family doc. She's part of Pierre. She works at the National College with me, and uh, she's deeply passionate about education. This was actually her. She kind of went on a run, as you might know from um, ha having her on here and everything about mm. urinary tract infections. And the original um, goal of hers was to talk about this, to talk about asymptomatic bacteria. She sees, she's a, a full comprehensive family doc, stopped delivering recently and stopped her eMERGE. She's um, uh, just stopped her eMERGE, I think, in the last year or something. But for, you know, well over 20 years, was doing it all, actually worked in the developing world too. And so she really had her handle, uh, her hand in a lot of different care elements and long-term care and eMERGE is where this emerges the most. It still happens in outpatient elderly. Um, but it's, this was her passion. And it was just, I said, let's start with something easy that makes sense. And it's kind of the bladder. There's the tail of two bladders, right? There's the, <laughs> the young bladder that is, uh, gets infected yeah. and you don't really need any testing at all and it's all about the symptoms and then there's this bladder which is similar in that the, the difference is the bacteria are always there mm -hmm. but again it's all about the symptoms instead of the testing and the problems that arise here are because of the testing and yeah, so no, exactly and so yes yeah. despite the problem being incredibly pervasive we haven't dealt with it 536 episodes no. in because it's so complex. And I, I tell everyone it's kind of like capturing fog with a net. You're, it's just there's nothing substantial there a lot of the time in the evidence world. Yeah. And, and, and the clinical question you guys were looking at was in the elderly, does having asymptomatic bacteriuria, does it cause does it even cause altered mental mental state? Because that's the whole premise around what why often people will treat. And does if you do then treat it, does that improve clinical outcomes? And so there's the the questions are really important to ask specifically. I know it's so it's a great thing you brought that up. So that question, which we worked on for a long time, started with you know. Uh, it, it included everything. It included like, well, does it cause weak and dizzy? Does it cause this? And it was literally going to be a small textbook 
um, which wouldn't have worked with tools for practice because tools for practice is limited to 350 words. Right. So we needed to back up and say, let's focus on the most common and be as specific in a very non-specific world as possible and look at just the altered mental state, which is probably the biggest deal for the frail elderly coming in confused, seeming delirious, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Exactly. Is, is asymptomatic bacteria causing it? And can the treatment of asymptomatic or treatment of the bladder in those cases do anything through antibiotics? So, And you, go, you guys broke it into four clear questions. And, we, and uh, Mike, you're going to go over each, each of those questions and we'll, we'll yabber on about the evidence. Right. And for those of you, um, if you need a stiff drink, if you need a triple espresso, whatever's going to get you through this, please, yeah, please, uh, please get it now. So the first question, because we were trying to, because the evidence isn't very robust, we had to come at it from a bunch of different angles. And the first question that occurred to me is, even though I was taught, you know, Mrs. Jones is 83 years old, and she's presenting with what family thinks is new onset confusion. Um, and, you know, what are we going to do? Well, I was taught, check her bladder, and if that's mm-hmm. positive, absolutely throw antibiotics at her. No, exactly. And, and so the question that we had is, does it actually, um, is, it, is it truly, is the bladder infection or the, the bacteria, not infection, we need to, mm-hmm. uh, you'll hear me make that mistake more than once, but yes. is the presence of bacteria in urine truly a predictor of altered mental state. Well, there are three systematic reviews that we could find, one that had five all the way up to 29, and these are observational studies. So if you're like me, you'll be going, okay, we're we're in it now because this is pretty waffly evidence at the best of Yeah, time. but we're looking for associations. Yeah, we're yeah. looking for an association. And um, they had anywhere from 2,600 patients all the way up to 1,600, 600 patients. Sorry, 16,000. Yeah, 16,000, sorry, uh, 600 patients. So, you know, reasonable numbers, and and there's a key issue here that we're going to get to in a second. If you're looking at what, in the the studies, in the original observational studies, the original 5 to 29 of them, if you're looking at the diagnosis of UTI and altered mental state, two of the systematic reviews concluded that they could not tell. And we'll get to why they can't mm-hmm. tell. The third didn't bother with any of the nuance of what's happening in those observational studies, just took numbers, added them together, and did a meta-analysis. And in that one, they found an association with an odds ratio of 2.67. That was statistically significant. Here's, here's the underlying problem, and I'm sure, James, you would you would recognize this kind of thing right away. And here's why this whole thing is so hard to look at. The definition of UTI. Now, remember, we're trying to show that a urinary tract infection, which is really just bacteria, but a urinary tract infection leads or is associated with, Mm -hmm. we're trying to imagine. Well, we are are actually trying to say it it does cause. Yeah, so we're trying to imagine it as causative. But what we're really showing is associations because mm-hmm. causation requires a bunch of different yeah, things. Yeah. But in this case, we're trying to show a UTI equals altered mental state. In these studies, they, they define UTI as bacteria plus 
an altered mental state. Yeah. So step back and just think about this a minute. So the diagnosis of UTI was a foregone conclusion because it was the UTI was diagnosed based on the presence of altered mental state. Yeah. So it's a cycle that's absolutely feeding on itself. In fact, in one of the studies, as an example, and this would happen in a lot of these studies, but in one in particular, if over 57% of the patients who were diagnosed with UTI had no UTI symptoms, not a single one. Yeah, which is, which is strange because almost by definition, a, you know, you'd say a urinary tract infection would be symptomatic. You'd think it would have a symptom other than altered yeah, mental state. Yeah, exactly. State. No, other than altered. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm saying is that it would have urinary tract symptoms. Right. So you would. Now, these people are often demented, delirious, confused. Yeah, so they may not. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it's hard. I'm oh, not yeah. saying it's not hard. But in those cases, there's other things you can use. And there's criteria. We're not going to go through them. But they're um, criteria to make the diagnosis. And it includes things like, as an alternative to confirm, are white cell counts up? Mm -hmm. And that's serum white cell count. Is there a fever? Is there abdominal pain? So on palpation of the lower abdomen, is there any indication of pain? Yeah. Those, like there is a bunch of things that could have been done. And in virtually every study, they're not done. Yeah. And you could even go with frequency and, and, and all that sort of stuff, right? But even, yeah, even, or the, yeah. many incontinent, right? Yeah, exactly. So yeah. There's, there's all sorts of things that you could look at, but in the vast majority of studies, it was a foregone conclusion because they were diagnosed as having UTI based on an altered mental state. And then they said, hey, is this linked at all to an altered mental state? So yeah. it's, it, it's I, I'm not saying that a urinary tract infection in a very elderly, frail person isn't associated with an altered mental state. It's just our literature is so bad right now. We don't actually know that yeah, yeah even though it makes it makes sense and i probably as a clinician would still think about that but i'd be using the criteria um uh like like uh is there a presence of a fever is there a, is there abdominal pain is you know what are the things that are actually is there a white count um, yeah. with no other identifiable infective source so when they when they actually then step back even further and said in patients where we can clear, clearly say there's bacteria, but we can't find any true UTI symptoms, is it associated yeah. with an altered mental state? The answer was, and this was only, believe it or not, in only one of the 29 observational right. studies. But in that, they didn't find an association. Yeah. So, I mean, so, I get, it, there's so much nuance and teasing and uh, out of the data. And, we, and you guys, like I said, did a great job of that. And, and that's just the first of the four questions. That's the first of the yeah. four questions, the most painful. But, yeah. but it does demonstrate that it's a messy, messy world out there for yeah. this clinical question. The next clinical question was, does treating asymptomatic bacteria improve or prevent clinical outcomes? Yeah. Now, so, that's, that's, that is likely an easier question to answer and because you can do that with randomized controlled trials. Right, exactly. And yeah. so there are five systematic reviews of this with three to nine RCTs, anywhere from 328 to 1,087 patients in all of the, in the systematic review yeah, is yeah. what I'm saying, not in individual trials. They're never 
this big the trials. And what they looked at, and, and this is what happened here is we were looking at these these systematic reviews, but we realized a lot of them were pregnant women with asymptomatic bacteria. They were patients who were, you know, 50 year old, that kind of thing. And we didn't want them, not that they're not lovely people, but we didn't want them because we were really asking around the elderly. So right. um, we only selected studies uh, within these systematic reviews where they looked at um, elderly patients. And that was the most recent was nine RCTs. Patients followed for three to 108 months and uh, total number of patients in all nine RCTs was 1,087. What did they find? Symptomatic UTI, mortality, either one of those two, no difference. What surprised me was after they treated the asymptomatic bacteria that they didn't even find a benefit in preventing symptomatic UTIs. That, that, I mean, I guess I shouldn't be surprised by that, but I thought if you're going to win anywhere, that's your Yeah, that's I was going to say, that's why it was, it was because I, I think mortality is a, is a big stretch. Yeah, I mean, that's, too many complicated Yeah, yeah, whereas, uh, you know, it's, it's, but symptomatic UTI, that, yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, it's, uh, but they found nothing. Yeah, I mean, unfortunate. And, and then uh, for adverse events, what they found was uh, things like diarrhea, rash, and, um, Canada infections, those kind of things, they went from 0.7% in the no antibiotics group up to 65 mm -hmm. in the antibiotic arm. So obviously that's, uh, that was statistically significant. And so that's about a, almost a 6% absolute increase. And so, it shows that they were giving antibiotics. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I guess that's their compliance test. Mm -hmm. Did it cause a problem? Ah, you took it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, obviously not everyone had a problem. No, but yeah, there is. No, there but that's, some. that's, you know, and if you, if you systematically try and capture that and most people don't get diarrhea, rash or candidiasis, but about, you know, I always say, you know, 10% people roughly do. Mm -hmm. yeah. And these are people who would have trouble reporting it. So they'd have yeah, to exactly. look for yeah, yeah. So it, but still it's, it's a big enough number to remind us that there's no benefits. There's only harms in this, yeah. in this general population of elderly people getting treated. Other systematic reviews I mentioned, there were uh, four others than the one I just presented. Others found similar kind of things, nothing too dramatic or impressive um, with the treatment. So that's, does it improve or prevent general clinical outcomes? Then we asked, does treating asymptomatic bacteria improve altered mental state? Mm -hmm. So this is really key for our underlying question. And there is an RCT of this with 58 people. And they took uh, these patients, they were in long-term care. They gave them uh, norfloxacin versus um, placebo for seven days and then followed them for three months. And this was not included in the systematic reviews that we've already mentioned. So it's interesting. I think people really wonder whether this was truly randomized, but I gave them the benefit of the doubt. And what, what did they find? Mental state and overall function were not different um, after uh, treating these patients with um, altered mental state and asymptomatic bacteria. Yeah, so, so to me, this is another one that goes, wow, nothing. Yeah, I, thought yeah. there would, I thought there'd be something there. But you guys, you guys actually went the next step and even decided, well, let's even, we'll just look at some observational studies. Yeah, so we, we thought, geez, it's only one small RCT, so let's look at some observational. And there are good observational studies here um, because the RCTs are apparently harder. Although, you know, 
you've heard me say this a thousand times, James. I'm sure you're going to laugh. Um, we spend, we'll, we'll, we'll study 25,000 people on vitamin D for five years and find absolutely nothing. But we won't do an RCT of 100 people presenting to emerge with new onset altered uh, level of consciousness. And, and I, do, I, do, I do want people to realize that Mike's uh, aversion for vitamin D is now actually in the DSM. Yeah, <laughs> it should be. So, and I want a whole section of myself too. Oh yeah, yeah. What, what it is? It's just it's a picture of you holding a bottle of vitamin D. Yeah, stand, 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 standing in the sun, completely naked. Yeah. Oh man, that would be <laughs> horrifying for others reading the DSM. But it's it, it. You know, we could also say statins. We don't need a sure. statin yeah. trial. Any anything where we've wasted money in my mind. When we've got these questions, which are so essential. But we've got the small RCT. Let's jump to the observational studies. 150 or 343 patients. Newly. These are really key. Newly diagnosed because the other guys were kind of hanging around in long term care. These are newly diagnosed delirious patients. Um, found uh, no difference in function or delirium recovery when given antibiotics versus none. Now that's observational, so it has risks because mm -hmm. people would be chosen potentially to get antibiotics for a variety of reasons, but it still failed. Even the ones that they thought, yeah, you're, you know, this, you're, you're sicker, so I'm probably gonna give you, really, there was no extra benefit. So just backs up what we saw in the small RCT. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the, the problem of uh, treating uh, asymptomatic bacteriuria has been discussed for decades. And so a lot of people think about, well, is there anything we can do to stop people from using prescribing? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. That's, you know, that's, you know, that's based on the fact that there's a preconceived notion that, that there is no benefit from doing that. And, and that's the final question, right? Right. And so my, my point here was that there's so, there's such iffy evidence. It's kind of, it's not in the right real population. Mm -hmm. If we were grading this, a lot of the grades would be low. It's only a small RCT of not newly diagnosed. It's observational studies of newly. So there's lots of problems. So then I thought to myself, if if it if all of this data is wrong and treating asymptomatic bacteria really did make a difference, then interventions that reduced antibiotic use should actually result in worse outcomes because if everything was wrong, then people really do need the antibiotics mm -hmm. for their asymptomatic bacteria. So that's why I went there, and I recognize it's a bit of a stretch. This one particularly was a part that Darren worked on. So three RCTs, two of them were a cluster RCT in 22 long-term care centers. They each used 22. It was a happy conven uh, coincidence for me mm -hmm. writing this up. And then uh, 214 newly admitted patients uh, followed for seven days. And surprise, surprise, mm -hmm. um, the reduction in antibiotic prescribing, it did occur with these interventions to reduce antibiotic use, but it didn't change hospitalizations, mortality, or adverse events. So out of the limited evidence that we have, we searched and tried to think of this from every single angle possible and just could not find any justification for chasing asymptomatic bacteria. Yeah, no, they, I mean, that, this is really, it's definitive work. I mean, I, I re, I'm really impressed with the, the work that you, that you guys did on this. I mean, it's, you know, the, 
you kind of have to look at it from all of these different aspects to really get a handle on it. And the sad thing is we don't have great data. For, we, well, we have some that's pretty decent data, but it's, it's, it's all nuanced. And, you know, after looking at all that, and then there's always a context, Mike. So what, what context did you guys come up with? Yeah, so some of the stuff that we we looked at for the um, context was first of all, <laughs> one of the things, and and you would know this, James, mm. the actual act of ordering. So someone's a little bit confused, whatever. Let's order a urine culture mm-hmm. that is going to trigger you because it's so common. Yeah. We're going to get to that in a second. That that it's just going to trigger you to 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 make the next step and order antibiotics. What was interesting in some of the observational stuff was how many places gave antibiotics without even ordering anything. Just like, oh, I see you're a bit confused. Here's your antibiotics. And the UTI diagnosis was written without culture and sometimes even without dip. So so it was basically the definition of a a, urinary tract infusion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, it's a bit confusing. Um, But yeah, so if you order one, you're likely – the, the, we'll get to what you should probably do first. Yeah. An asymptomatic bacteria is common in the elderly. So for community-based patients over the age of 80, they range between 5 to 20% of your patients over age 80 will have bacteria all the time, and they're, they're fine. Yeah. And those are uh, – the females are more common than males. So when mm-hmm. you're thinking of that 20, the 20% is more likely females and the 5% is more likely men. If you look at institutionalized patients, it goes even higher. For women, it's 25 to 50%. And for men, it's 14, or sorry, 15 to 40%. Yeah. Yeah. So, e- so if you go looking for it, you're going to find it. You are going to find it. And you then you're going to be, oh, maybe I should just treat this. Yeah. That's and the it's problem. always yeah. that. Yeah. I know. It's the thing of, I should have never ordered that test. How many times have we all said that, right? Yeah. As clinicians, I should have never ordered that test. So, and so, then, what, uh, so go ahead. What, what do guidelines recommend? Yeah. So guidelines are saying, so avoid treating asymptomatic bacteria in, in the elderly without clear signs of infection. And there are criteria you can look up mm-hmm. for patients who are confused and delirious of what, what makes it. And it's things like, as I mentioned before, a white cell count, a fever, abdominal pain, incre- a, a new onset incontinence, you know, mm. all those kind of things would would help point you in it. But what you should be doing instead of jumping to the conclusion that this is from the bladder is looking for other causes, carefully observe, rehydrate these patients. They're often dehydrated and that's leading to their confusion. Um, and I, I would like to add one thing is, uh, is it... it have you had a look at their medications? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, that, that, uh, that has to be a, a much greater risk of, of uh, 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 altered mental state, especially in the elderly where, you know, they're on a number of medications and usually the doses that we typically give to the, you know, a 19 year old and, and, you know, and, and all that sort of stuff. So, cause one of my, one of my issues with all this is that if you do a culture and then you give an antibiotic, you then stop looking for what it could be because yeah exactly you're you're you've you've done your action you're going to wait and see now yeah um uh what exactly you know you think is um what actually the if it, you're going to wait and see well maybe it was this let me see a couple days yeah yeah and 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 we'll wait it out and meanwhile while that's happening by the nature of being in hospital you're hydrating them 
Yeah. And they get better, and you go, oh, hey, it was the antibiotic. Yeah. That yeah, was, yeah. That, no, what exactly. a great call on my part. Yeah, I nailed that one. Yeah, yeah. So, um, no, this is this is great stuff. So the, there was a uh, – I mean, you guys came up with a bottom line. I mean, it's it's pretty much a lot of what we said, but why don't you just quickly run through that? Well, first, I did want to mention okay. uh, another doc that uh, – she wasn't involved in this, but she did really get me thinking about this. I had done a podcast with her on something else mm-hmm. entirely, and it was – her name is Cassandra Hogart. She's a supporter of, of peer and the kind of things we do, but she has a, she's, she does a lot of long-term care, actually even got a license plate at one point that said, not a UTI. Like she just (laughs) is so passionate about how crazy the, the kind of every time someone feels a little unwell, they're weak, they're dizzy, they're not eating They're you know, the jump is to, to that. And she, she really pushed me to okay. It's such a di- issue in long term care that yeah yeah. Well, you you have a li- you have a license plate that says vitamin D sucks. <laughs> it's not quite that, but no. uh, yeah. So <laughs> no. uh, anyhow, I did want to give a shout out to her because she's cool. so she's she's uh, so knowledgeable on this, and she really got me thinking. Like, I didn't want to look at this topic for all the reasons that yeah. you guys have learned today while listening. But she she was right. This needs to be examined because the evidence cool. is so yeah, yeah, yeah. waffly. Anyhow, so let's talk about what the bottom line is. So the first thing is we're not – I think there may be an association between UTI and altered mental function. Yeah. But we don't actually know that. Which right is really – because that's, that's the next step above asymptomatic bacteria. I know. I know. And so the idea – it's so tainted by the evidence of the fact that the diagnosis in most studies yeah. is based on the altered mental state that it, it yeah. becomes so clouded and I clouded, not cloudy urine. And, um, and that, that I think is the first thing recognize that it's still fuzzy there. Then treating asymptomatic bacteria doesn't improve clinical outcomes, including altered mental state, but will increase if, if, if it does anything, it will increase adverse events from about 1% up to about 7%. Yeah. And, and there's also the cost and the inconvenience of having to do it. Oh, and, you know, all for that. sure. And then missing other things, right? You've, you've yeah. done the, the error in medical diagnostics is called anchoring. You've already established, you've anchored on the idea that this is a UTI. And so you're not looking, um, you're, you're not moving around to look for the other things. That's yeah. kind of the term of anchoring. And the last thing is in elderly patients with asymptomatic bacteria and altered mental state, antibiotics should be avoided unless there's a clear sign or symptom of infection or you've exhausted the other sources. Yeah. So, yeah. No, no, that, that great stuff. No, this is really good. Um, anything else about, uh, as, we've, as it says, is ASB, asymptomatic bacteria? Yeah. That I, the only other thing is... Um, if the new members of Peer want to do anything like this again, ask Mike Culver or Tina Corona. Yeah. <laughs> I've already texted him and told him to ignore that because yeah. no, it's all, it, these things are an incredible amount of work and, and it's not so much. It's, it's when the evidence is clear, these things are easy. It's when, oh, yeah, for sure. when it's not so clear that you, I mean, you guys went down a rabbit hole that you know, you looked at you know uh, observational studies. You looked at uh, stopping antibiotics. You looked at all. So anyway, it's a it's a big rabbit hole. But it, and mm-hmm. I, I, I'm looking at it. Did it, did you actually squeeze it into 300 words? It's 350 words. It's under our limit. It's yeah, it's well, probably exactly 350. Yeah, I think it's 350. When it gets yeah. like this, it's yeah, it's right up at the top. But everything, if it wasn't COVID, they're all. 350 words. Yeah, exactly. No, great stuff. So uh, a few things. So uh, we have our meme, our evidence-based 
course coming up, a, a course that we've been putting on for, I think this is the 33rd year or something. The names have changed. The name has changed on occasion, but we've been doing it for about 33 years. Uh, in Vancouver, May 12th and May 13th, we would love it if you uh, could attend live, but we'd also love it if you'd sign up online and uh, have a listen to what we're t- talking about. We've got all sorts of different topics and different speakers that are going to talk about a lot, uh, so many different areas of uh, uh, healthcare. That and and I think almost every talk you will learn, you know, two or three really great things that could influence your practice. So we'd love you to uh, check that out. And in fact, go to our website, the Heck Talks, and we'll put links into that. Uh, for you guys and check out the, the the topics that we're talking about and i'm sure a number of them especially if you're in primary care will be of uh, great interest uh so that's that's all i've got for that mike right and then just a reminder about cfpc learn if you uh like this podcast this podcast is available including um the premium podcast and they're uh, certified on uh, CFPC Learn. The credits are entered directly for you. Uh, you don't even need to enter your own credits once you do it and complete the short survey. It's like it's uh, you get the credits automatically. So it's an it's a great way to learn and get your credits. There's all sorts of other things on there, like other podcasts, other um, there's videos, um, there's uh, uh, reading tools for practice. There's all sorts of ways to get yeah. your credits that are best suited to the kind of ways you like to learn. And both Mike and I should be certified but that's another topic yeah it's a different kind of certification <laughs> uh they're, they're after with us yeah so uh i think we'll just leave it at that so thanks as always for listening talk to you later uh-huh.